say, Colin? <laughs> you know, for me, you're in the future. Like, uh, like a man on the moon or in a tin pan. Welcome to the Eat Radio Podcast. And here's your host, Colin Pope from Eat Magazine. And thanks for joining us as we dive back into part two and we explore the Tasmanian Museum, the Maritime Museum of Tasmania, going through, I guess, some of the interpretations of some of Tasmania's rich maritime past. And then when we look at some of these sailing ships, uh, the... You know, people loading, unloading, huge amount of timber coming on or off. What's the story there? Well, this is just typical of the manual handling that went on uh, with sailing ships where uh, the crew often would be employed not only to sail the ship but to load and unload it as well. And uh, it, was all, it was all pretty hard work, long lengths of timber, um, barrels and drums of various kinds, uh, crates and so, everything done piecemeal. Right, so okay. Yeah. One bit at a time, uh, okay. employing a lot of people. Okay, brilliant. Okay, so Rex, tell us, we're just standing in front of this display and we've got something, it's called an astrolabe and it's a circle, it looks like it's made of wood with a, a couple of, or one peg on it that spins. Uh, what was that for? How do you... This is a, a very early, uh, this is a, a replica of a Dutch uh, instrument uh, dating back to the 16, early 1600s. Um, and it was a, an early way of finding your position at sea. Right. Um, using the, the, the sun and, uh, and so on. And uh, a fairly hit and miss method, I suspect. But nonetheless, the, uh, the explorers of the day generally... Um, found their way. Right, and I right. guess it's got those little wings on it would have been used for the sun's position. There would have been some shadow thing that yes. sort of gave yes. them an idea of what was happening. That's right, okay. that's right. Yes. And so from there, where did we go from that very well, then, basic? Well, um, uh, then uh, octants were developed uh, to find the, the altitude of the sun and, again, uh, with a, a view to establishing your position uh, and the time and so on. Uh, you could pick up quite a bit of information from these, I gather. Uh, and then they were refined further into sextants, which are still used, actually. Really? Um, well, at least they can still be used. Yep, um, sure. There are some people who still know how to use them, put it that way, oh, okay. uh, that yeah. they've been trained in the use of them. Because in the Merchant Navy, uh, and probably in the, in the, the, the Navy as well, uh, uh, the the art of using the sextant was taught until fairly recent times. Right, so and then what was there. the art of using a sextant? Because a sextant, which just looks like it's got heaps of little um, of, of lenses and so lenses on, lenses and mirrors yes. and uh, things. Yes, how did that work? Um, well, it was a fairly complex uh, system, but it was basically uh, determining the angle of the sun. Right, and from that you were getting your latitude. Right, okay. So. Um, and uh, um, so um, uh, the ship's officers uh, would do a sighting um, at certain times of the day and then they would, they would annotate the charts 
to say, well, we're in, this is our position, etc. Okay, and so they'd plot out. And I guess by the time the sextant came out, people were a bit more confident about where they were anyway. Because so. we had so. much better maps and things, whereas yes. previously... They were very much in the dark. Yeah, very much in the dark. So, so how you found your way using something like that, I I really don't know. The Astrolab. But yes. Yeah, it looks pretty. Uh, more more luck than uh, than anything than else, anything I, I else. suspect. Yep. Okay. But they did it. Yep. That's the amazing thing. Okay, fantastic. And then, uh, as we sort of move through this here, and we look at uh, this mystery shipwreck, which looks absolutely fantastic. Yes. Um, this was is from a ship that was wrecked about the middle of the 19th century uh, near Hobart, just near at the entrance to the Derwent River, and um, it broke up. Eventually, it ran up on the shore, broke up, and uh, then this piece was uncovered in a storm a few years ago right. and uh, eventually found its way to us. And it's a very good example of mid-19th century wooden shipbuilding okay. because it shows part of the wooden uh, keel or centre line on the bottom of the ship from which the ribs or to which the ribs were attached. Oh, yes, okay. So, like so they were built like whales in a way. That's right. They? That's the right. Yeah. So you can imagine this is the, the centre line and you would have your, your ribs coming out either side to form the hull uh, or main body of the ship. And then this is the uh, the beginning or the bottom of the bow. Wow. Um, but po- possibly more interesting is the way in which it's connected with brass or copper bolts uh, holding the timbers together and also copper sheathing, which was used extensively on the bottoms of wooden ships right. to try and stop the uh, the depredations of uh, marine worms and so on. Oh, yes, okay. And, so, uh, so the copper was used to stop the marine worms getting in and eating yes. the wood, basically. And is that evidence of marine worms? Yes, it there? is. This is what's happened once. And what are marine worms? Oh, there's teredo worms. And there are various types, but they, they're basically like, just like timber. They're a bit like termites, I suppose. Okay. Uh, they love timber. Right. And so uh, they, uh, you know, if they find if there's timber under the water, they'll, um, and it's unprotected, they'll, uh, they'll well, bore into it. And um, on their way in there. Yes. And, of course, if the bottom of the ship itself, if it's afloat and uh, the bottom is unprotected, well, they'll still attack that too. Right, wow. So periodically uh, the sheathing had to be changed and so on. Later on, I think um, uh, with different timbers being used, they used timbers that were perhaps not as attractive to marine life and so on. Right. Um, And so the need for sheathing uh, eventually disappeared. Okay. Uh, And... um, Behind us, we have perhaps uh, one of our, or perhaps our most recent uh, shipwreck locally, uh, the Lake Illawarra, which ran into our bridge here, the Tasman Bridge, in uh, January 1975. Yeah. And uh, brought the bridge down on top of it. And this is a model that was made for the Court of Inquiry that followed. Right. Um, shows the ship lying on the riverbed as it is today, still with its cargo intact, and oh. uh, pieces of the bridge on top of it. Yeah. And uh, this was a model of how the bridge was to be rebuilt, and, and, and it's been reconstructed with one pylon missing. So there's a, as you look at it, um, over on the eastern side, away from the city, 
there's a longer gap, and that marks where the, the ship is lying on the river bed. Ah, okay, yep. So. Wow, all right. And then um, I guess just this is a fabulous-looking, uh, it's a figurehead, is that right? Uh, yes, this is from a ship called the Svenor, which was wrecked in Bass Strait um, up around, uh, um, I'm sorry, uh, around Flinders Island. Ah, yep, okay, sure. And um, this is one piece that's been preserved. That, uh, the uh, Most sailing ships had figureheads. Uh, we have a few examples scattered around the museum. Um, but, uh, and the figureheads sort of came, in a way, very much from those Viking days, though, yes, didn't they? Really? Yes, they did. And so what was the purpose of the figurehead? It was to sort of protect and... It was. A series it was, of other things, is that it right? It was. It was uh, uh, a traditional thing to protect the ship against danger. Uh, in, the early, in early days, of course, against evil spirits, I suppose. Um, and uh, was designed to show the way ahead. They were often women that were portrayed, and they were supposed to bring good luck to the ship. It was one of those ironies that uh, a woman on board a ship was supposed to be bad luck, but you had a female figurehead to bring good luck. So I'm not quite sure of the uh, the um, reasoning behind that. Right. But nonetheless, most of them were female figures. Right. Um, and uh, uh, in the same way that a ship was off was generally referred to as a she uh, that was supposed to be part of the good luck and the protection of mother nature and so on right and when we have a look at uh, we've got a map here of tasmanian shipwrecks uh, would it be fair to say that there's more than a hundred there's over a thousand actually really yeah. over a thousand in that have been recorded in what 216 210 years or so and um, so the, what, the first recorded one was the Sydney Cove in 1797. Yes. And then there's been more than a 1,000 lost since That's then. right. That's it's right. Astounding. Yes. Um, ships so of all types. So why are there so many shipwrecks around Tasmania? It's a very rugged coastline, but, uh, but also most of them occur through Bass Strait between here and Victoria. Uh, and that's because the, the strait itself is quite shallow. Right. It's a submerged piece of land, so it's quite shallow. Uh, there are lots of rocks and so on that just poke up above the surface. Okay. And uh, in the days of sail, particularly, um, sailing ships, often with limited visibility in storms or whatever, uh, would simply run onto uncharted rocks or onto the islands that, are, that dot Bass Strait. Right. There are the large ones, but there are lots of small ones too. Yep, okay. Um, and... Uh, they would come to grief, or also along the coast, to the north coast of Tasmania, likewise the, the coast of Victoria, the shipwreck coast, as it's called. Really? It was okay. a pretty, uh, because it was a busy seaway um, and a treacherous stretch of water, uh, you had lots of shipwrecks around there. Right. But they're all around the coast and uh, yeah. occur for various reasons. Okay, wow, that's fantastic. Okay, so uh, Rex, um we're not having a bit of a problem here at the Knotboard, are we? <laughs> no, this is a, a, a fabulous um, collection of nautical uh, knots that was actually made for us many years ago by three retired ship's captains. Right. Uh, one from Britain, one from Poland and one from Germany. And they, they knew each other. Um, a couple of them, I think, were actually Cape Horners 
that is they they'd sailed in sailing ships around the bottom of South America around the famous Cape Horn, which was the dreaded seaway in those days. And why was that ships. the dreaded seaway? It always well, it seems it was always stormy, always rough, really, and so on. Yeah. And often the ships were blown well south. Right of, uh, of the bottom of South America, so they would end up down amongst the icebergs and right. And You'd so end up on. in Antarctica, almost. Yeah, so they had the some pretty trip. rough trips. Yeah, and once you got down there, you'd be life is pretty tough. That's right. Yeah, That's right. Okay. So the Cape Horners Association was formed uh, from uh, people who had had this experience and survived. Right. And um, and two of these captains uh, belonged to that that association. And uh, they produced this beautiful board, which um, is, I, I imagine most of the knots on it are purely decorative, but uh, there would be some that have a practical use amongst them. But it's a very nice piece of work. And uh, we do have a couple of photos of them. This was presented to us many years ago and, um, uh, and now has pride of place here just at the entrance to the, uh, to the gift shop. Right. And so when we look at those early days of ropes uh, for ships, uh, they, were, they were being made by almost anything, weren't they? Because once you got out lost in the islands and things, you needed to be able to make ropes and things you to did. repair boats. And so yes. what would you use? You'd use fax, flax leaves and yes. uh, what um, other things would you'd you use? You'd use the material, whatever material the, uh, the local population was using. Right. So here in Tasmania, they would have used uh, reeds okay. and so on. Um, but uh, the traditional rope, of course, was made of jute. Uh, and so on, and, and hopefully they carried a good supply of that because sailing ships had a huge amount of um, of a huge need for rope. Think of the uh, the vast areas of canvas that they carried, right, and, and yeah. all of it, all the sails uh, were controlled by by ropes of various kinds. Right, and um, and so there was a. a a huge amount of it, and uh, and likewise a knowledge of of rope work and how to tie a good knot was essential. Right, sure. um, and I guess those those ropes were sort of saving your life many many times. Indeed, they Indeed they were. It was man overboard. Yes, that's right. Right, exactly, yeah, okay. exactly. Brilliant. And in a storm, of course, you relied on the ropes to keep the sails uh, in position, and and, and they'd uh, use the ropes to. Sort of tie the whiskey down and make sure they exactly. roll away. Tie everything down. That must so have been pretty, pretty important. <laughs> Indeed, sir. Okay, Indeed, sir. All right, and then um, I see just as we go out the door, there's some uh, there's a great sort of a gift gift store and, yes. and things here as well. And so it certainly looks like you know it's a great place people can spend some time. Uh, and uh, and we've really only just scratched the surface, I guess. We have right? indeed. Yeah. We have. Okay. Yes. And is there a website people can go to here if they want to uh, have a look more and get prices and timings and that sort of there thing? There is. Uh, we have a website. It's uh, www.maritimetas.org. Okay. Yep. Uh, or just put in Maritime Museum of Tasmania. Right. And that'll bring it up. Okay, brilliant. And we'll put that link in the show notes as well. So thank you very much for taking the time. That's excellent. Thanks, Colin. Okay, right. cheers. Bye. <laughs> Thanks, and that was great to have some time with uh, Rex. I guess the other thing is that 
uh, you know, the history really is that basically the Ship Lovers Society of Tasmania had uh, began lobbying for a bit of a nautical room um, as long as go as 1931. But it wasn't really until in the early 70s that about six enthusiasts uh, got together and actually formed uh, the Maritime Museum. They pulled their private collection of things together along with donations from the Ship Lovers Society and the whole core of uh, the collection today, really. And so, you know, public contributions, donations and all the rest of it have allowed this to uh, continue using the original displays as well as as other things as they come along and come on hand. So with that, uh, I know that I keep talking about leaving this island, but I can't seem to get away. I'm going to take you one more place. So so what we're going to do is we're going to go around the corner. There's an author that I've been really wanting to meet for a long time. I think we might get a couple of minutes with him. I've got to go and see if I can find him. And uh, so as soon as you come back, hopefully he'll be joining us. If not, I'll be at the airport. So so let's see how we go. And I look forward to you joining us then. Cheers. If you're a listener in the US, you can simply text the word EATMAG, which is E-A-T-T-M-A-G. And if you want that in Echo, uh, Art, Technology, Travel, M for Maggie, A for Apple, G for Grapple, uh, it's Eat Mag, and you can text that if you're in the US now to 1480-418-1411. If you're in Australia, you simply text the word Eat Mag to 61428-479-700. If you're in the United Kingdom, in the UK, Scotland, England, Wales, you can text Ireland as well. You can text EatMag to double four seven nine zero three five six seven seven one eight, and if you're in Canada, you can simply text EatMag to one five eight seven eight hundred four three two three, and you can just replay those numbers. I know it sounds like there's a lot of numbers in there, but wherever you are, you can just text EatMag from those four countries if you're in there, and we'll. Um, send you some instructions and you can basically subscribe to our updates that way so really pleased to finally get that off the ground and uh, thank you very much for joining us and we'll see you next time